Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 267. Today is Monday, the 5th of March, 2018. And this interview is with Anne Bowden. Anne is the founder and CEO of Starling Bank, a brand new online bank in the UK that she started in 2014 and got licensed in 2016. Anne, who comes with a heavyweight executive experience in the banking world, she was the ex-COO of Allied Irish Banks and the head of EMEA, Global Transaction Banking for RBS and ABN AMRO, is an entrepreneur and a pioneer on a mission. This podcast comes hot on the heels of Starling, having just won the Best British Bank and Best Current Account at the British Bank Awards. In this podcast, we discuss Anne's journey, the challenges of being a challenger, her biggest surprises, her blueprint for success open banking, fintech, and much more. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, someone I have been tracking, following, and am most excited to have on the Minter Dialogue today. So, Anne Bowden, uh, you, based in England, you founded one of the premier, most well-known online banking services in in the UK called Starling Bank. Uh, you founded it in 2014. And, and because you also have a good career behind you, I can see uh, that you've been successful in raising a good amount of money, 50 million pounds, and you've already got your banking license, uh, which was uh, achieved in 2016, which I imagine was quite a, a great moment for you. So tell us in your own words who you are, Anne, and what would be your mindset? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm Anne Bowden, and I'm a founder now after many, many years of being a corporate executive. And my mindset, well, what a difficult question. Um, I think I can say a couple of things, really, one after the other. First of all, I believe in life is all about experiences and cramming as much interesting stuff into it as possible. Uh, And secondly, you might as well spend your time doing things that are useful, Mm-hmm. that haven't been done before mm-hmm. and, um, and and not to be afraid, afraid of failure. Mm-hmm. I think that starting a business, um, you have to be aware that it could happen. You could fail mm-hmm. um, and that shouldn't put you off. I the mean, rewards can, are so great. I can imagine that the journey from being a corporate, well-known banker in a very well-known place and jumping into this must have been quite a a barrier jump. Uh, what, explain us the, the moments as you went through that. That'd be lovely just to get into your insights, Anne. Mm, I think I was getting up every morning thinking, one of these days I'm going to do something really different in banking or really different in my life. Um, and those two things sort of occupied my mind for a couple of months, doing something very different, you know, doing something entrepreneurial and doing something very different in banking. And I'd never really put the two things together. Hmm. Perhaps it's something entrepreneurial in, you know, whatever that's going to be, um, something outside finance or going into an existing bank and, and turning it around. And then one day I realized I could do something very, very different, something very entrepreneurial in banking. Hmm. And that was the aha moment. And there's also this notion of doing something with a purpose. There's a need uh, and a purpose behind what you're doing. Describe what that is for you. Yeah, um, I think I spent... um, I went through the financial crisis in a big bank. 
Um, and at the end of the financial crisis, I spent a time outside big banking in fintech, where I learned that people were building systems and building new businesses with hundreds of thousands of pounds rather than hundreds of millions. And that was a huge learning experience. I realized that most of what I knew was actually wrong. And what I knew was holding me back. And I should take all these new ideas on on board and figure out what could be done with them. Um, I managed to take a lot of those ideas and use it in in a new job I took at Allied Irish Banks as chief operating officer, where I'd been hired to um, return the bank to profitability. And I was quite successful. The team were quite successful in in embracing new ideas and, and, and working on profitability. But I knew very well that we needed to do more. I knew very well that we were just putting things back the way they were before the financial crisis and that people had changed, technology had changed, and the regulators wanted new entrants. So I had to do it. Would you say it's harder uh, to disrupt from within or from without? In other words, within a big bank? or as an independent, external, you know, new player? It's all very, very difficult. I have a huge amount of empathy for um, the very talented executives in big banks. Um, they are trying to turn around old tankers, and there's lots of people putting obstacles in their path. Um, being a disruptor is just as difficult. Um, you know, we don't have... Um, you know, we don't have the weight of opinion behind us in many cases, and we have to fight each and every battle. Uh, but each and every battle you win, you're one, one step further forward, and you get more support as more people know about you. And you get more trust around you. So what, what has been the biggest surprise for you, Anne? So you, you moved from this COO job at Irish Allied to Starling founder and CEO how would you describe in your biggest surprise? Well, a couple of things. When I started, I was convinced I needed hundreds and hundreds of millions. Mm. I, I only worked in hundreds of millions. You know, that's how we did it. Okay. Um, and all of a sudden, I was outside big corporates. Um, you know, I, we didn't have any money. Um, it was just me and a couple of other people. And we, um, we survived in the goodwill of others. Mm. And people will get behind you if they believe in the idea. And I was very, very fortunate that lots of people got behind the idea and actually helped. I have to believe, Anne, that um, not that I know you particularly well, but I also think they got behind you. Mm, yeah, and I think that's, that's pros and cons of that. You feel terribly responsible when you're leading people through this journey. Um, people have given up their jobs, people have invested in you, people have made personal commitments in an idea. Um, and you have a huge obligation to them to make sure they succeed, and we succeed. Like friends and family, oh my God, you, you lend me your money, I must, I must get back to you. <laughs> um, so obviously in, in fintech, it's, it's disruptive by nature. Uh, and in the banking, retail banking, particularly in the UK, there are already many start, well, several startups anyway, uh, differing levels of development and everything. What, how would you describe your point of difference? Uh, we're the first um, digital current account bank. Um, so there's quite a few banks coming along doing specific either lending or SME banking. Um, we're doing day-to-day banking, very technology-focused banking. We provide 
the day-to-day transactional needs of consumers and soon-to-be small business. Mm -hmm. So what we do is the sort of banking that technology can make a real, real difference to. We provide a a debit card um, and full access to payment schemes, and we collect lots of data around each and every transaction. And we use this transactional data... Um, to, with the help of machine learning and artificial intelligence, to give you insight. And that insight helps you access products from other people's balance sheets in our marketplace. One of the things I've noticed about Starling, and it, from the outside, is my, my observation and your point of difference, is the amazing number of collaborations you've put mm-hmm. together that from... You know, in my book, Future Proof, I talk about it's the second most important uh, concept is to be collaborative. And and I want to get to open banking in a moment, because I think that's a lot about collaboration, too. But it is, I mean, you, you've done an extraordinary job of collecting uh, so many different strong partners. Talk us through that process. Mm-hmm. Well, we believe that um, each entity in an ecosystem should really focus on what they can do really well. We're all about providing the banking license around payments and looking after people's money in a little bit of saving and a little bit of borrowing. Um, And we do that in a highly technology-driven environment. We have a marketplace with other providers providing um, products, financial products to our customers, and they link together using APIs. Together, as an ecosystem of financial products, we can satisfy customers' needs. We don't say we're the best mortgage provider. Mm. We're not the best asset manager. We're the best current account provider. Mm -hmm. But in this ecosystem where we bring together the best, we're a real force in this marketplace. Yes, it strikes me that your current account provider and all-around services that come with it. So that's sort of the fish hook, in some sense, is the current account. And then you, it comes with all these other stuff around you. I mean, there, you've got so many really interesting, different uh, partners you're working with. Mm. And those partners are sort of have, have been have, have generated product which is unique. Mm-hmm. We have mortgage partners, we have asset manager partners, we have people that are providing um, sort of loyalty products. And... Um, these are businesses that are totally focused on doing that one thing very, very well. Um, and traditionally, banks work from the basis of they'd capture their customer, they'd sell them a current account, they'd use that customer's data against them mm-hmm. to get them to buy products. Mm-hmm. They'd, cro- yeah, mm-hmm. they'd cross-sell and upsell products. Mm-hmm. And we have a different model. Mm-hmm. We only do what we're very, very good at. And we introduce partners who are very, very good at doing what they've set out to achieve. It's, there's a notion of subscription as one of the more sustainable business models. And behind that, if I'm a cynic, and I, and I think of it in many ways, it, it's more an imprisonment model mm-hmm. from a consumer angle, which is how can we screw them so well that they feel that they cannot get out of us? So it's a lockdown, locked-in mentality and keep them and then under fear and control and then using data, like you say, behind them. So in the, in the, in the banking world in, in England, now that you know, I'm living here, I can see that it's a lot more fluid, the ability to move from one bank to another. And so in the end of the day, would you not only win if you can prove that you provide value all the time? 
Yeah, I think what, we, what we're coming up against at the moment is that um, the new environment where a customer owns their data and the bank can't hold that data against them, uh, where people uh, can permission that their data is shared with other providers, uh, raises competition in all aspects. And where you have a more competitive environment, you get better pricing, better service, and the consumer wins. So what we're going to come up against is the fact that standards have been raised for everyone. And everyone, whether they're banking with an old bank or a new bank, should win. Yeah, so I think in essence, as I decode you, that we are talking about open banking, right? This is the so give us an understanding of that because not everyone's going to be aware of what is open banking. And then I want what the question I want to ask behind that is: Is Starling Starling <laughs> Starling are, are you positioned better or worse uh, against that sort of open bank environment? Yeah, um, try to explain what open banking is. Um, at the moment, I think the easiest example to give is where. Um, today, you buy, you, you have your app and your bank account from the same provider. You could have an app from Barclays or HSBC, and you'd have your account with the same bank. In under open banking, you can have mix and match between these. You could have HSBC with your app and your bank account from Barclays. You could have a totally new provider providing your app. That is regulated but not a bank because your connection with your bank is going to be regulated by open banking uh, rules which are based on the Payment Services Directive coming out of Europe. The Payment Services Directive 2, as we call it, is a new set of legislation coming out of Europe which, um, which mandates that all banks must open up their banking systems so other providers can connect with them using APIs. These are open, op, um, these are programming interfaces where basically you can instruct your bank to do various things using messages. So for example, um, another example is that say Amazon could um, provide your front end and um, sort of Barclays could provide your account, and Amazon could instruct and make payments over your account. Now, that's a very, very different configuration of banking. And people often ask me, as you just asked me, is, is Starling better positioned um, under this new world? Um, I think it's neutral. We have built our organization for an open world, for a PSD2 compliant world, and we were the first bank in Europe to have PSD2 compliant APIs. Um, but what it does mean is that in this new world, people can actually take their own data and use it the way they want, and it'll make the world and the financial services environment more competitive. We think we'll do well in that competitive environment. Um, but it's equally so to other banks who consider themselves competitive. In the amount of data and APIs, or do you have any specific point of view or activity with social media? So I, I'm not saying just you know what, what you might be doing to drive the business and get your awareness up, 
But is there a, a link in behind the wall, the fire hose or something like that, that enables you to, to use their data with what you're doing or, or make any of those network no, relationships? I think it's very important that a customer's data is owned by the customer. And we do not share that data. The customer chooses to share the data to the parties that they want to share the data with. So um, we protect that data and um, we don't share it on social media. But where social media does come in and where community comes in um, is very, very critical um, here in Starling. Um, Starling's a new sort of bank. Mm -hmm. You know, we acquire our customers because people hear about us. We don't acquire our customers because we advertise. Mm -hmm. We acquire customers because they want to come to Starling. They've been told about Starling. They've seen a friend using Starling. They've heard about social media. Um, And once they become a customer of Starling and they join Starling... They become part of a community. And we have thousands of people who chat away on our community talking about how banking could be better. Mm. And I've never come across an environment in my 30-odd year career Mm. where customers are so enthused by uh, an organization that they chat all night Mm. about it. That sort Mm. of customer engagement Mm. is unique. Well, in my mind, that speaks to the pain that banking has been up until. And this sort of release system, oh, my gosh, they actually reply, oh, my gosh, they're doing this for me. And, you know, they're helping me out. I I personally, the first time Chase... Manhattan Bank in, in New York, uh, was they allowing me to uh, deposit my checks wherever I was around the world up to a certain amount. And I would do it on stage, and people would just be shocked that this was, it was the, the one thing that they managed to do. Um, so you've got a, um, a, a business that's going well. Uh, you're not profitable yet, as I understand it. Uh, you're now thinking about or are launching into SMEs. I'm wondering, you know, you mentioned you're not going to do mortgage services, but at some extent, do you need to have full, fuller services, more services? Is that part of the critical mass? And then the second question is, internationally, how does one, you know, live when, when it is mostly a domestic bank? Is it, is it necessary to become, you know, available in the East Coast of America? Um, a couple of things there. Um, the banking that we do is a scale business. Um, It's very, very technology-driven. And we intend to acquire scale. And we're scaling very fast at the moment. Um, But what we're doing is scaling on the things that we're good at. Um, We're going to do current account banking and everything around transactional-type banking. And we're already selling those services to large business. And we have government contracts where we're actually processing government payments And we intend to do that at scale across the UK and in other currencies. We're currently um, working on our euro proposition, and we've already become members of um, Step 2, SEPA, and Target 2 in Europe. Mm. Uh, We've passed it into Ireland, so Ireland will be out the launch pad across Europe. So... And we are testing at the moment our SME accounts. So the theme here is to do more current accounts for more people in more countries. Mm. It's not to do other products. At the same time, in your business model, it sounds like you're not just relying on the typical retail current account model to make money. You have uh, white, part, white, white labeling maybe with the big 
big governments or, or the other currencies? Is that is that? Yeah, we provide correct? transactional banking services. Um, I was head of transaction banking in MIA for ABN AMRO and RBS, and in that business, I provided payment services um, across thirty-four countries to big business. Um, we have built a state-of-the-art infrastructure here at Starling, and large organizations have come to us saying, um, well, can we use your infrastructure? And that is one of our products now. It's so true that some of these, I mean, when you know how to make for ex nihilo the system, you don't have to worry about legacy. You end up with a much more fluid product and people want a piece of that. I, I guess it must have been a challenge for you at some level. I mean, if a bank comes to you and says, can I use your system? How do you operate with that? I mean, let's say a mortgage banker that uh, also does current accounts. Is that something that Kyber Pass you go along? Uh, we, we're prepared to do that. We have um, many of our customers we're currently um, working with at the moment offer very similar services to ourselves. Um, we believe that um, we are an ecosystem of all helping each other doing the things that we're really good at. Uh, we know we have a great infrastructure. We're one of three banks in the UK, um, that provide faster payment services. The only one with a real-time uh, connectivity um, is available to help this ecosystem, and we do it with enthusiasm. Yeah, my, my friend uh, Mike Ballerman, who, who runs the London FinTech podcast, always says that actually the real um, diamond in the rough, if you will, or the utilization, the big thing for FinTech is to learn how to collaborate with, or actually for the big banks, to think of them as collaboration possibilities as opposed to the enemy. Uh, we're a bank, um, and we cooperate with FinTechs and with organizations that need better, more cost-efficient, more scalable solutions than the big banks offer. So um, although... Um, we're probably not a typical example in the fintech world. Mm. Um, we are providing banking services, and all the people in our marketplace are typically fintechs. Huh. Well, at the same time, you're very tech, that's for yeah. sure. So um, what I, as I understand it, you're still privately held. Yeah. You got these uh, funding. Is uh, To what extent, and I mean, looking at you as a banker, yeah. and myself, I worked at Donaldson, Lufkin & Generate, so I know a little bit about investment banking. To what extent is going public a necessary condition of future success? And how do you view the financial markets and this idea being of having shareholders to respond to? Mm. I think all stakeholders um, are very important. I think that having the right stakeholders is even more important. At the moment, we have a set of um, sort of people who are interested in Starling, our stakeholders, who believe in our vision of giving people the tools to live a healthy financial life. Um, people often ask us about, you know, sort of what's going to happen. Is it an IPO? You know, what? Sure. I, yeah, all the time. Um, it's far too early. Mm-hmm. I think that our brief at the moment is to solve more problems for real people. Mm-hmm. And um, when we need to solve more problems for more people, that's the time when we have to find another way of raising capital. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, our focus is on solving those problems for the people we have as customers today. And uh, just a one last word on that is, by being private, do you believe that gives you uh, one step up on the larger companies that are also publicly traded? 
and with a focus on the publicly traded component to it versus the fact that they're larger and more installed? Um, we are a bank, which means that we, um, uh, we, we're a public interest entity. So that means that our reporting requirements and, and how we behave and how we govern ourselves um, are right there at the highest level. Um, so between what we are now and being listed isn't a huge amount of, of, of difference. Um, we have a huge obligation um, to our regulators um, and to our customers, and we have a huge amount of governance to support that. So at the moment, it doesn't, it's not a, it, we're not really behaving like a typical private company. And uh, as far as the company is concerned, how many employees do you have? 150. And give us, um, if you can, whatever you'd like to, the split. How does that look? I mean, in terms of age, you want to be ageist, or in terms of programmers versus bankers, well, what does it look like? Um, I don't know the age split. Maybe us being highly ageist anyway, so i uh, scrap that. But I can see there's a lot of youngsters around. Yeah, right? okay. Um, uh, this is a this is quite a diverse environment. Mm-hmm. Um I think the values um, of Starling are quite important. Yes, yes, we do have a ping pong table, mm. uh, and we do eat together, and we have a um, we have a very fintech type culture. Um, the we have more than forty engineers, uh, software engineers. Um, I was a software engineer a long, long time ago. Mm. Um, Back to your roots. Yeah, uh, and it and it's really good fun. Uh, and then we have an equivalent number of people in customer services, and then the rest are made up of, you know, sort of finance people or, or risk people or lending, whatever. But the important thing about Starling is we don't define ourselves as that. We sit in groups of people who get together to solve problems. If you look across the office here today, you can't find finance sitting somewhere or the engineers sitting somewhere. We all work together on problems. Um, the we are very driven to do the right thing, and we move very very fast. Um, we're in a hurry. We're in a hurry to change things, mm-hmm. and everybody here gets that culture. All right. So in change and actually agility like this, with so much going on, how does one know which paths to go down, and what is your guiding principle? to choose with so many options going around, so many inputs saying, you should do that, you should do this, and there's so many maybe hot hot buttons to push. Uh, and I'm thinking, for example, customer centricity. This is something that's where everyone should be focusing on that. Or you should make a great user experience. What is it that drives your selections in the doing the right thing? I think customers decide. Um, and we make decisions and close off avenues at the last possible point in time. Um, In a new business, you have to pursue lots of avenues to figure out which avenues are going to be the fruitful ones. Um, And we believe in experimentation. Uh, We believe in trying lots of things and figuring out what works. And we cut things that fail. Um, Through a fail fast. Yeah. You know, uh, and we deliver very, very frequently. Um, you know, today we will um, deploy into production something like four times. Um, on a Monday, we'll we'll stand around and we'll figure out in our sort of in um, in our teams what we're going to build. 
by the time they get to Friday, we'll be demoing. There's certain cultural things about Starling. Um, Friday afternoon at four o'clock is demo time. Um, you know, everybody stands up and demos what they built. Yeah, there's a few screens that have the word demos on it, so I can see it's, it is very much live. Yeah, um, and then um, Friday mornings is bacon sandwiches and Wednesday lunchtimes is lunch ta- it, it's e- eating together. Um, there are certain things that define how we do things at Starling and velocity and speed mm-hmm. and being able to make decisions to go or to cut things, you know, or to, 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 or to say we're not going to go down that route any longer is what defines us. Last question for you, Anne. You mentioned doing the right thing. It's an important area for me, this notion of ethics. There's so many unexplored areas or areas where there's no legal framework uh, for which to base our decisions, even though it might make money, but it, it might be legal, should we do it? The question, the last question I was going to have for you, just because you're an entrepreneur and this is kind of question that's sticky, which is politics. Should a bank be involved in politics? Of course, the answer is no. You don't vote for a certain party. And yet, there's always politics involved. You know, the, the regulations that come from lawmakers are politicians. Mm. And, and then so in the U.S. right now, this is a big topic of financing of guns. And so is there, what's your line on that? Do you have a line? I mean, is, you don't need to express yourself if you don't want yes. to. But what's your opinion on that? Um, you know, we don't support a political party here, but we definitely have an opinion. Um, we at Starling believe um, in certain things are fundamental and we're willing to stand by them. We believe in diversity uh, and we believe in um, equality. Um, and sort of we stand behind the sort of... Well, we, we believe that we have to fight to make money equal. Good. Well, that, on that, Anne... Um, how would you like somebody to uh, connect or follow what you're up to? <laughs> Let us know what's the best way. Um, well, Twitter is always a, a good way of contacting me. Um, and it's Anne Bowden, A-W-N-E, B-O-D-E-N, and, of course, Starling Bank. That's a Twitter handle. Um, and we, you know, we love talking to our customers, and we have a very vibrant community. Please join in and tell us what you think. Beautiful. Thanks for coming on the show, Anne. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Josh Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way. To rid me of the grave And heal me With all your imperfections That you mention in your Lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form As long as you would feel warm Wrapped in canvas Hold me Hey
Images in our palms make colors blend and look ugly in the end. But they're pretty in their own disgusting values. We'd hang our portraits in the hallways, make our house guests cringe. Oh, I wouldn't care. news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.